Welcome back, Goblins! This week we're going over Episode 7, The Dark Along the Ways of the Wheel of Time, written by Amanda Kate Schumann and Catherine B. McKenna, directed by, oh, I should have looked this up beforehand, Siren Donnelly. I'm sorry if I butchered your name. Hi, Lily. Hello. It's Lily. Uh, <laughs> there's so much going on in this episode. I was telling Julia pre-show, I was disappointed even more so in the past two episodes, spending so much time <laughs> on Karene and Stepin and Suan Sanche and not giving time to the actual story of Eye of the World, which is this episode, essentially. And they just crammed so much in. And it was good and certainly bad in some parts. I thought how they handled the Matt mm. situation was as good as they could do. I Something I hated about this episode was how the Dragon uh, Reborn was revealed in that they just said mm. it. Uh, not <laughs> a fan of that, but we get a lot of cool elements, things that I thought they just were going to abandon from the book that they reintroduced, like men. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about it. All right. I agree. This was uh, definitely like three episodes in one, in mm -hmm. my opinion. We'll get into the summary right now why not why all right not? hold on to your butts we start off with my favorite maybe favorite we'll see my favorite cold open of the entire season so far the battle of the shining walls slash the blood snow as always we start with a flashback we're following a pregnant woman who's in the middle of a battle while literally giving birth mm. And she's freaking owning everyone around her. No armor needed, no stupid sword. She's got two short spears and a baby to birth. Screw these assholes also for attacking her while she's pregnant and literally giving birth. Like, I'm sorry, is she a threat? Yes, she is a threat. All right, I talked myself out of that one. Anyway, <laughs> the cold open closes with another armor-clad warrior pointing his sword at her throat. But we cut off before we see anything more. Back to present day, we're in the darkness, no parents, with the crew. That's right, it's the ways. Matt's been left behind, and Moraine doesn't give a single heck. They're uh -huh. moving forward. The ways are as ominous in the show as they are in the books. We got all of the elements for spooks. We got weird crumbling rocks, random lightning and thunder. It's a literal bottomless pit beneath them. Thanks, Loyal, for the info. But not all is dead in the ways. Laneve is alive and flirting, kind of, a little bit. A little bit. Perrin also nearly outs his special wolfy eyesight when he spots the first guiding, which has been defaced and is nearly unreadable. Lan warns of something following them. And also, Lily's prediction came true from Eye of the World when we were reading it. She has the foretelling but does not know it. There are Trollocs in the ways. It tries to attack them, but someone channels to blast it off the cliff. Mm. Unfortunately, this also attracts Machin Sheen, the Black Wind, who proceeds to whisper sweet nothings into each person's ear in the group. Fortunately, they're pretty close to the Waygate for Faldara, so they're able to escape with just a little protection from Nynaeve and Moraine. Mm. Everyone is unharmed, mental health aside. <laughs> Always. Everyone's fine, we're in Faldara now. Lan gets a warm welcome from his old friend, Lord Agelmar, and Moraine gets shut down and mansplained to. <laughs> but before we move on, there's a quick scene showing Padden Fane exiting the Waygate and walking towards Faldara. Moraine takes the kids out for a drink at the local bar, definitely to help them relax, and not because she has her own motives to speak to Min the bartender and the local seer. Anyway, so Min gives a viewing for each kid, and we'll go over them later. Back at the keep, Moraine gives everyone one last reminder that they're all gonna die at the Eye of the World <laughs> and leaves them for the night. This causes some intense bickering with Egwene shading Matt, Rand defending him and clapping back at Egwene, and my least fucking favorite part of the episode, Perrin's crush on Egwene is revealed. I can't. No. I'm yep. sorry. So everyone thinks they're going to die, and what do you do when you know you're going to die? You go hang out with your besties. Cue everyone making up and making out, am I right? Hell yeah, get it in. Oh, and did you think Rafe Judkins forgot about Tam's fever dreams in the beginning of the season? No, he did not. 
Sneaky Rand has been keeping some secrets to himself this whole season. Turns out Tam did spill the beans all the way back on Winter Night, and Rand has been in crisis this whole time. We get flashbacks to all the times Rand has questioned whether or not he is the Dragon Reborn, breaking down the Ironwood door in Breen Spring, recognizing the mountain outside of Tarvalin. Turns out Rand is the one who channeled the Trolloc off the cliff in the ways, and it was one of his fears that the Black Wind whispered to him. He goes to Min for final clarity and final self-acceptance. He is the Dragon Reborn, and he is the only one who has to go to the Eye. The next morning, Rand and Moraine are gone, off to the Eye alone, so no one else has to die. And that's where we leave it. Da da da! Ugh, this episode deserves so much more time. So much more time. Oh my god, it deserves so many more episodes. There's so yeah. much going on. I couldn't yeah. believe it when I was writing my notes for right. this. Just, it kept going. It kept going, and then it kept going. No, I told Julia pre-show, I watched this for the first time and then immediately watched it again right afterwards because <laughs> I was just like, there's no way I got anything from that episode. Like, I no. have to watch it again. No, there's just ugh, so much. All right, so my Pitchforks rating is four Pitchforks. Okay. I I like this episode, I will say. So there were definitely some awkward shots where it was clear COVID guidelines mm. were being followed where they are all have to be far away from each other and you can tell there's just like one like shot of one person <laughs> saying a line uh, and like the lighting yeah. is a little off in some of the shots and some more awkward explanations like right at the beginning with matt's exit um oh, yeah. but something that is consistent with this show is the design of anything the ways faldara i thought were really good and the whole sequence with ran struggling to accept what he is and what he must do i really liked except for one thing but overall i did like this episode it needs more time they just need more fucking time because I know. the last two episodes were not this. <laughs> oh, not the retroactive disappointment. That's not great. I know. I, yeah. I just wish they just spent more time getting to this. Yeah. yeah. No, I fully agree. I have a similar rating. I couldn't decide like 4.2 or 4.3 pitchforks mm-hmm. out of 5 because, I'll be honest, the first time I watched this episode, I really didn't like it. Uh-huh. I thought it was awkward and a lot, and I pretty much only remembered the stupid freaking love triangle between Perrin, Egwene, and Rand, and it just almost ruins this entire episode for me, even Mm -hmm. though it doesn't take up that much time, but it's referenced throughout the season a little bit, and it's like, why? Anyway. Yeah. I loved all the time we get to spend with the characters this episode, and I would have rated it higher if not for some awkward moments with, like, Matt leaving... Nynaeve's bubble in the ways was a little weird and awkward. I kind of liked it, but, like, it just, it's one of those things that kind of makes me laugh, too. Yeah. And the love triangle, obviously. The reveal at the end with Rand also felt a little bit rushed on my first watch, but it felt a little bit better the second time watching this again. Mm-hmm. So, 4.2 or 4.3 for me. Not my favorite, but definitely not a bad episode. I just want more. That right. is our constant plea to right. Amazon. Constant plea, yeah. It's like the elements are there. There's so much that was touched on and they were able to pack so much into an hour, but I want yeah. more to be expanded on. Like you could have easily done a 10 minute scene on Lan's backstory, but we get uh, like a two sentences. So I know. It's, it's things like that that I wish we could have expanded on more and then just not have other scenes. Like, yeah, the love triangle that you are the dragon reborn. Like those are not, we're too yeah. smart for this shit. Like I don't need this, so regardless all right let's start from the cold open because you obviously know the history behind what is going on here what the battle is i in the book we get this story from tam during his fever dream when rand is taking him back to emmonsfield post trial attack i was very excited that they did include some of these scenes Uh, in this episode because i just thought you know they were going to be abandoned uh and tam essentially tells us and Rand, that there was a baby on a mountainside and there was a mm-hmm. woman dying. And Oh my God, can I, I have the quote right here. Oh can yeah, I say no. it? yeah, go ahead. Okay, so there's two separate quotes. This is when Tam is feverish and they're heading back to Emmett's Field. 
Tam starts just saying random stuff. He says, they came over the dragon wall like a flood and mm. washed the land with blood. How many died for Laman's sin? All the way back to the shining walls, they burned and slew before they were turned back. Mm-hmm. We didn't know when we were reading the Eye of the World who they were, but the show right. answers for us that this is the Aiel. Right. I think we might know by the end of the book, but it's the Aiel coming over the Dragon Wall, which is kind of the mountain that they live beyond. Okay. He also says, battles are always hot, even in this snow. And then I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Slope of the mountain, only place that didn't stink of death. Had to go get away from the smell of it, the sight of it. Heard a baby cry. Their women fight alongside the men. Gave birth there alone before she died of her wounds. I couldn't just leave a child. No children of our own. I knew you'd take it to your heart, Carrie. Yes, lass, Rand is a good name. Oh my god. When this scene was playing on the show, I like almost cried and it shocked me how much impact this had because we never get to see this in the books. It's always just spoken about or kind of heavily implied. Mm -hmm. But here we get to see Rand's mom giving birth to him and what a fucking badass she is and how tragic it is that she's fighting off these men who are trying to kill her as she's giving birth and yeah tam shows up with the sword pointed to her neck and she thinks oh my god here we go again i'm literally in the middle of labor and i have to survive somehow for my child Mm -hmm. but he's not there to hurt her he's there to help her and the moment where she realizes that he's helping her and like has his hand out is so heartbreaking and so beautiful he is her last like I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It was just a beautiful scene. I will say Tam, who is meant to look younger in that scene, looks a little funny, but, like, I can't take away from it. It's shot so beautifully. The choreography is so great. Rand's mom is such a badass. I loved it so much. No, it was... Yeah, I agree. It was a very cool opening scene. Yeah, because it's a code open. You're like, all right, someone's running through the snow. But I loved how they included... All the way back in episode three when they're in Breen Spring and it's the Gleeman that's um, taking down this Aiel person that has been killed. Oh, yeah. And I love that they showed that because for me, I was like, oh, this is an Aiel woman because she's dressed the same as that guy and has the mask over her. I'm so glad you made that connection because it's not very obvious, I feel. Right. But I, I like that they included that. So, like, you could make that connection. And because I read the book, I was slowly understanding, like, oh, this must be, like, the scene. But I didn't know how pregnant she was. And so, to me, I was thinking of a few things. Like, one, her dress is, like, going over her belly. So she's, like, pregnant, pregnant. She's not, like... Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe the baby was delivered prematurely just because of the stress that she's under. But, like, as you've told me and other hints in the book, Aiel are warriors. And when they have their masks up, they're deadly as Mm -hmm. fuck. Like, she's trained Mm -hmm. for this. So... As maybe unsurprising as it seems that she killed, and I counted, she kills six fucking soldiers. Six. God. Okay? This is while she's, like, trying to give birth to, like, who knows how many she killed before this. Exactly. So it's just, it's amazing, uh, as you said, amazing choreography. All the shots look cool. The shot where she's, like, dragging the dude by the cape and then, like, whips around and spears him. I love that. it, It looks great. Um, and I, I love the scene, as you said, when she's finally, like, giving birth and she, like, rips her pants and then the sword mm-hmm. comes up to her. And you can see her face change from, like, the struggles of labor to this, like, intense anger and murder. Yeah. It's so cool. So I <laughs> yeah. that actor really, really delivered it there. And I know from just the, um, the, when you're watching on Amazon, it tells you the character name in the scene. And it says her name is Tigraine Mantier. So I'm not going to look into that more because I don't really want to spoil myself more. But Do not. Yeah. But obviously the circumstances surrounding Rand's birth are very important to him being the dragon reborn. He's not just some random sheep herder from the two rivers. He clearly comes from a line. So I'm very excited to learn more (sighs) about this. But yeah, this cold open was... It was beautiful, really. It's just great. Yeah. No, I think I keep saying this every episode, but I'm really enjoying how you've only read the first book and we only get so much backstory in the first book, but the show is really expanding that a little bit in ways that doesn't spoil it for you, really. Yeah. 
for the future books and I love that we can kind of like it gives me an out because I'm always worried about accidentally spoiling you and if it's in the show I feel like it's okay yeah so I'm so glad we can finally talk about this scene and the other ones that they've revealed over time it's yeah. so much fun it, it gives the book uh new life no absolutely I I yeah uh this scene was so cool and they, you could tell they shot it with some the cameras were weird in this. Oh yeah, weird in a in a good way. Like the camera would like pause and then zoom back and like yeah, it's spin. some fancy. It has some fancy name. I think the director had to convince everyone to spend the money on this type of camera. Oh. Uh, but it's money well spent for sure. Absolutely no. I thought it it looked great. Like I, I it it was like a stylized fight scene, but it still looked very well choreographed and believable. It didn't just feel like a woman murdering all these men just because that's in the script. Like it felt like this could actually happen and the circumstances all made sense to give birth to the dragon reborn. So I would love to learn more about this shit when the time is right. Not just to input it. (laughs) It's so good. So far away. So that was 20 years ago. Uh, or yesterday, yep. as Loyal would say. But back in present day, we're back in the ways. And mm. Matt Matt has just, as Egwene says, left us. And they're Matt? all discussing, Matt! 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 Yeah. So I broke down the reactions of every person for the Matt thing. Give so Moraine me. says he made his choice. Loyal, mm. reopening the Waygate way would be impossible. Mm. Rand, we just can't leave him. Egwene, he left us. <laughs> what? Perrin, should we just sit down and die? Probably. Nynaeve, (laughs) when this is all over, we'll find him. So she's the voice of reason, and then she Mm -hmm. gets them to get going. And then as they're leaving, Lan says, what if it's him? So, Moraine, I'd like to take this moment to kind of talk about how they were able to weave the Matt exit, which is very different from the books, into the actual plot of the show and Moraine's character, which I thought was a creative way to do. So... Mm. Moraine clearly is very shook by Matt taking the dagger and how the dagger was feeding off of him just as much as Matt was feeding off of the dagger and there's evil inside of him. And she even says the inherent darkness within him and she knows that if he is the dragon, he will side with the dark one. So Moraine's like, I already was really iffy on him, so honestly it's fine that he's gone. And then later, when they finally make it to Faldara, I believe that this... Uh, prejudice that Moraine has against Matt, if that's even the right Mm -hmm. word. That's what Mm -hmm. leads her to then tell Lady Amalisa. She later tells her to send a message to the Red Aja, telling them to capture Matt, I'm assuming to gentle him. So I like how they were able to weave this together to support the shadiness of Moraine and how she's really Mm -hmm. just on her own with whatever the fuck she's doing. So as awkward as Matt leaving was, I'm glad they were able to kind of piece it together for the show a little Definitely. bit. No, I kind of like that idea. I want to speak on it for a second as like mm-hmm. a nitpicker. But first, before that, I also really liked how they showed Moraine and Lan kind of taking a conversation aside. And Moraine kind of revealing that she's, to me, was just trying to convince herself that he couldn't have been the Dragon Reborn. Oh, okay. because it would be really bad if he was left behind and he's the dragon, right? So she's kind of like trying to convince herself that it's going to be fine because there's no way that he was the dragon. So like, eh, we didn't leave the dragon behind. And you can start to see a little self-doubt, which she never shows in front of the kids at all. Yeah. Again, I'm referring to them as kids, but they're all like 20. Lan also refers to them as kids when he's talking to Nynaeve later. So come at me. Anyway. But... I, I question why she sent the Red Aja after him. If she doesn't think he can channel necessarily, like, what are they going to do? Like, are they just going to... Is she hoping that they assume he can channel and then, like, try it, but, like, nothing happens? Then they just kind of hold him prisoner to keep him safe for a while until she can come back or something? Because right. at this point, she also thinks she's going to die at the eye of the world. So, like, yeah. I just want to know what her reasoning was for this. Right. But it, it sets up this plot line for season two, hopefully, where it's like, what happens to Matt after right. the ways? I'm really curious. No, I, I think that's definitely it. We're right. Because Moraine's, yeah, like, I'm probably going to die. So the worst thing that could happen is Matt is the dragon. And if I didn't find him or if I didn't send anyone to find him, then he's going to be taken by the Dark One. So it's like kind of mm-hmm. trying to 
what would it be? It's like cover all her bases. Yeah, exactly. It, it's a weird move, but I, I kind of liked how the show's like, all right, let's try to give this shitty yeah. sub meaning because we don't have a Matt, which he is actually involved in the rest of the book, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Aww. but not in the show. All right, so uh. they're uh, continuing along. I So here's what I thought about the ways. I'd love to hear your interpretation because I think you differ from Okay. Me. I really did like the design. I definitely thought it was different from what I had imagined in my head. When reading it, it's described as pitch blackness. You know, they have torches, mm-hmm. but the ground is super weird, and there's these islands mm-hmm. and the guiding. So to me, I was just like, just darkness everywhere. And then they would just kind of sit on these little, like, rocks. But yeah, that's all I really got. I didn't think it was really this, like, large, expansive area as it's in the show which i thought was cool they used these like hexagonal stones uh, as like a pathway and then there's like lightning and thunder and then the machin sheen design i thought it was all very cool because you get the creepiness but you also get that this is a magical entity so i loved Mm -hmm. i love that they were able to incorporate it but i also can see how maybe it wasn't as well done as it could have been so i liked it though i didn't dislike it outright i liked like i feel like the most important thing for the show to portray is the right vibe of whatever scene they're into and i think that they did a really good job of that in the show here but when i pictured the ways when i was reading it it's like this place that used to be beautiful Mm. and a wonderful place to be and a really convenient way to travel and i just sit there and wonder kind of like in the show how were these hex, hexagonal, whatever, how are these stones ever supposed to be a convenient way to walk through the ways <laughs> for when there was like apple trees growing here and sunlight <laughs> right. and stuff? I also didn't picture thunder or anything. I think it would have been cool um, to have it just be completely silent in the ways. Ooh. And the only thing you ever yeah. hear is maybe the wind, because that's how I pictured it. It was just a huge, empty, black expanse with, like, this continuous smooth stone that was kind of crumbling as you walk on it, like slate, uh-huh. with some islands around and different paths going off the islands. But, like, otherwise it's just silent and black and really oppressive. And yeah. I wanted to feel that kind of, like, oppression more. But I think it's still... It got the point across. You don't really need it to be anything crazy. You don't need it to fit exactly how I pictured it. So it's fine. Okay. But a little bit more classically spooky than I was imagining it, maybe. Okay. Yeah, no, I I appreciate that. Yeah, it would be cool if it's like total silence and then you hear the pad and fane whistle. That would be cool. Because it's only a Gwen that hears that, but it would be cool if it's like total silence. I just want there to be a moment where like... Yeah. someone's like swallowing really loudly and everyone can hear it and then like you kind of go and you can hear everyone's like mouth sounds because it's so silent and you're just mm-hmm. like oh god it's like it makes it so awkward and horrible yeah right <laughs> but it's fine i don't i don't have much to nitpick about that all right yeah I, I i liked it and yeah we get like as julia said in the summary uh perrin's perrin's wolf abilities because he can see like 100 yards mm. ahead of him whatever loyal's annoying and slow whatever and yeah, talking too much about horrible things just just not not what you need really he's as we've constantly no. said he is not a vibes guy uh and no. in this episode he was really just there and it's kind of sad what I his know. character he is disappears in faldara he just disappeared where'd yeah. he go we do not see him at all <laughs> he's chilling he probably found a library yeah uh, i hope he's okay but yeah just just nothing else so uh, once they get to the guiding that has been slashed, Moraine's like, okay, what's going to take Loyal fucking forever? That was a hilarious <laughs> scene where he's like, I'm going to ask for your patience. And Rand goes, if he's asking for patience, we might as well just die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you, Rand. That's oh, a solid one. Very good. Um, So they all try to get some rest. And there's like a cute little cuddle moment between Egwene and Rand. Mm. But not for long because Egwene... First, here's creepy whistling. Uh, we will talk mm. about Pat and Fane later. And then she wakes up Rand and a Trolloc immediately attacks. As Julia said, there's some channeling that goes on, whatever. But because the Trolloc attack quickly, Land and Moraine are able to offer some explanation. So one, Trollocs right. in the ways means that this is how they were able to get the, to the two rivers undetected, as Land says. And two, that's what slashed up the guiding the Trollocs. 
Right, right. So someone channels Machin Sheen comes and <laughs> Nynaeve is like, what is Machin Sheen? No one fucking tells us anything. <laughs> someone explain. And the loyal's like, in the old tongue, it means the black <laughs> wind. And during this, Moraine and Lan are quickly trying to figure out a plan. And Lan's like, where's the way gate to Faldara? Okay, go, quickly, go, go, go. And she says, Machin Sheen, we'll speak to you. Don't listen to it. So if I can, let's break down these statements. Yes. So as Julie yes. and I talked about pre-show, Moraine doesn't outright say Machin Sheen will lie to you. But how we interpret this is this is these characters' deepest and darkest fears. So for Moraine, you're wrong about everything. You will murder these children and call it heroism. And how they did this with the sound design was really cool because it starts as this very weird, deep voice. But then at the end of the statement, it turns into their own voice. So it's like Moraine saying this to herself, right? It's like your inner thought. For Egwene, you're nothing, an imposter, a fraud. Rand, Egwene will never love you as much as you love her. She left you once and she'll leave you again. Perrin, this begins the Perrin bullshit in this episode. You wanted Layla dead out of the way. That's why you killed her, because you loved another woman more than your wife. Could we not? Okay. Lan. You can't protect her. You will watch her die. I love this because I don't know if it's talking about Moraine or Nynaeve. Yes. Love that. Yes. Mm. Mm. And then Nynaeve gets a full paragraph. You'll hear their <laughs> screams as they die. Just like you heard your parents and you'll do nothing to save them. You lost Matt and now you'll lose the others one by one till you have nothing and no one. You can't protect them. You can't. Nynaeve's like, fuck this. She mm-hmm. channels. And screams, and then she kind of channels this big, like, bubble shield thing, as Julia described. Uh, And then that essentially gives everyone uh, pause, and then they're all able to leave, because at the same time, Moraine is channeling open the Waygate to Faldara. Julia has thoughts on this. Here's my interpretation, because I actually like this. Okay. All right. I did think it was cool how Nynaeve channeled, because you can tell that each time she's channeling, knowing that she has this power, she's more in control of it and able to, I think, direct it a little bit better. And so she's kind of doing, has her arms spread out. And then Moraine's like moving her channels to open the gate. And she kind of, I see her kind of look behind her and sees that Nynaeve's doing Mm -hmm. it. I don't Mm -hmm. know. The whole sequence I thought uh, was very cool. And then Lan is the one that pulls Nynaeve. And then they're all safe in Faldara. So I, I liked how that looked. I thought the intensity of the moment was portrayed well. I thought it was cool. You get some shots of Egwene and Perrin watching Nynaeve channel, and they're like, who the fuck is this? So yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I liked true. it. But uh, yeah, what did you think? Okay, I don't... I think this is just my own problem and not uh-huh. a problem with the show. I would love to know if any of you Coplins have the same problem. The moment when Nynaeve initially channels is the only moment where I really have a problem. And by okay. problem, I mean I can't stop laughing. Was it the close-up of her screaming face? Because that it, was a bit cringy. <laughs> it might have been the like close-up. A- I I just kind of get lost in the cringe sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't think most people even think this is cringy, but, like, I can't. I can't get past it. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's just, no, I, I see it, and my brain goes, ha ha, and no, I can't. I, I definitely understand what you're saying, and I agree with you on those elements, too. I just think that, like, the overall feeling and vibe of what they were trying to do was there. They yeah, hit it. Absolutely. Yes, there are some scenes where it are like weird and cringy. Like there's this <laughs> wide shot of all of as Moraine and Nynaeve are channeling of all the rest of them kind of laying down on the ways and it looks very weird. Like they were just like blown <laughs> over on their campsite. Mm-hmm. But mm. because of all the other shit that's going on, I'm like, you know what? This is fine. Okay? Because yeah. yeah. Whatever. And I I like the depiction of the channeling here, but you're right, there are there's moments that are not what you want. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. I like I love when I love watching my channel because I love her so much. Yeah. So we get to Feldara, and once again, I love the design of yes. Feldara. The show is so consistent and so on point with the designs of these structures. I loved the city. It blends in with the landscape, this sort of sand color. 
I love how it's perfectly positioned at the entrance to Tarwin's Gap, which is the valley between these two cliff sides. Um, mm-hmm. It's exactly how I pictured it in the book, really, and how the Waygate is further away from the fortress, yeah. so they have to walk yep. through it. So I thought yep. the whole design of that was beautiful as they're walking into the structure, the layers of it, the interiors, the, the design outfits. of the costumes. The oh, outfits, the costumes. They're so good. The, the people on the inside. I, I don't know. All of that is is excellently done which is why some of the parts of the show that I don't like are disappointing where it's like the show is so well produced in some areas I just wish that they spent more time on the story and the dialogue and just cut other bullshit because the other parts of the show are so well done and so beautiful to look at and then other parts just fall flat so I hope that continues season two three four you know but I just wish that the story was better and for anyone know. out there who's also read the books like I have, we met a couple characters in Faldara that don't get named in this episode, but that play a fun part later on that I'm really excited to see, and I love the actors for them, too. I'm not going to say much more than that. Okay. Um, but again, the outfits for them, so amazing. Mm. I love the, like, I think Faldara's symbol is the hawk. And you can see the hawk on Lord Agelmar's shoulders. It's like his whole back is just this hawk wing. It's so cool. Lady Amelisa's outfit, his sister. It's just, I love the, you can tell it's a different world, a different time, but also some modern aspects to it. I feel like that's so Wheel of Time. Yeah. I will say, if we could start talking about the characters. Yes. I was a little disappointed with Lord Agelmar and Lady Amelisa because... Mm. Agumar was so defensive right from the get-go. Yeah. And when he's not at all in the books, and I, I, I really loved him in Eye of the World for being kind of the wise leader of this city, but in the show, he's just so dismissive, and I really didn't like that. I thought they kind of did his character a disservice. So that kind of made me sad. And Lady Amelisa, I actually don't have much of a problem with, but Agumar, I just, I really like him in Eye of the World, and I thought... He felt very different here. No, you're totally right. Yeah, in Eye of the World, like, he's, even before Moraine explains what they're doing, he's offering help to her. He's offering her lances. They have a meal. Yeah, and it's very much like, you know, here's Lan. He's our, you know, Daishan. We'll talk about that later. And Moraine, Mm -hmm. you're connected with him. Like, your family here. And then the show, yeah, it was very much like, "Uh, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, okay. So you're not here to help me? Great. Now I will let you rest. Also, right. Lady Amelisa, is she mentioned or involved in Eye of the World at all? Because to me, this was a new character. She exists in the books. I guess she wasn't in Eye of the World. I kind of forget when she comes into play or if it's just that she's mentioned. <laughs> I honestly okay. don't remember at all. She definitely, they didn't make up a character or anything. Um, she was, we can talk about her just for a second here. Yeah. I don't know how much you caught between her conversation with Moraine, but she did go to the White Tower for training. That's why she has the ring, but she doesn't have a stone in the ring to indicate which Aja she is because she didn't become a full Aes Sedai. She only received training, but if you're not powerful enough in the one power, then they kind of toss you out. Okay. You know, with love. Like, oh, we trained you so you don't hurt yourself. When you channel, and you're not a nice to die, so don't pretend to be, but... She wasn't exiled. Yeah. She's not exiled. Not like Moraine was, but just kind of like, she's she didn't reach the threshold for becoming a full eyes to die. Okay. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's weird that she still wears the ring, because doesn't that just remind her of, like, her fail- failure and right. disappointment? Like, why are you still wearing that? Yeah, it feels like she's hanging on to this a mm-hmm. little bit, even in the fact that she, like, wrote to the White Tower for help with Faldara in defending Tarwin's yeah. Gap and stuff, and that's what has Lord Agelmar so on edge. It's like she's right. still so kind of, like, up the White Tower's butt. Well, right, and, like, two things here. One... The reason Algamar gets so angry is because, yeah, she writes to the White Tower, and then later he's like, oh, I we have a great relationship with the White Tower. It's like, you were just <laughs> yeah. angry about it. And two, Moraine expertly uses Amalisa's hold over not being an Aes Sedai mm-hmm. as, oh, hey, send this message to me so that you can feel like you're part of my plot, so that you can feel right. like you're doing something yeah. for the Aes Sedai. So, uh, the manipulation. She, kinda, she reads her pretty well. 
yeah, that was a, a interesting character because they also talk about, which one I want to talk about next, that Moraine wants to see Min, the seer. And yeah. uh, they talk about her a little bit. And Amelise is like, oh, why do you want to see her? Moraine's like, why not? I can't tell you why, so why not? Yeah, she's my friend or something. She's my friend. And book readers know that we meet men uh, much earlier, actually in Berlon, which is the first stop they make it to outside of the two rivers. But we meet her here, and I I really like this uh, change and addition. I thought they would abandon her character. Too. But I love that they included it because we get some of her interpretations. So Min is a seer. She's not an Aes Sedai, but what it means is that she can see glimpses of the pattern as Moraine later says Uh, and so she's able to look at a person and see an image and sometimes she can interpret it sometimes she can't some images are clearer than others sometimes she can see people that are connected Uh, in the books her interpretations for each character are slightly different so I'm gonna go Mm -hmm. through them but I'd love to hear your interpretation of men julia because i know you know the full scope yeah so okay there as julia says moraine brings them to this bar and they're all drinking four of them together and moraine's talking to men and men's able to look at the four and she says perrin has yellow eyes blood running down his chin rand is rocking a baby uh Egwene and nye white flame and ring of gold it does not specify who is who mm-hmm. it just says both of those she says they're all linked, all four of them, and she sort of pauses and looks at Moraine, and Moraine says, you got one for me? <laughs> Not the exact dialogue, but essentially. And Min says, I see the Amarlin seat. She's wearing full regalia. She's going to be your downfall, which I love that little tidbit. Ooh, ooh, lover's quarrel, maybe. So Moraine was looking for Min to just tell her, like, yep, yeah, that's the Dragon Reborn. I got you. <laughs> She does Sorry. not. So not that easy. Moraine has to later tell them that night, like, ah, so um, we're gonna leave tomorrow. Uh, we're all going to the eye. Three of you are gonna die, and you don't have a dis- uh, choice. But I'm gonna act like you do. I'll see yeah. you tomorrow morning. <laughs> Deuces. Peace. I'm gonna sleep. Yeah. Yeah. What did What did you think of Min and her showing up here? I loved Min. I had no problem with her showing up later in the season than she does in the book because I feel like she wasn't needed before then and at the book like you see her once and then she's kind of forgotten about for the rest of the book but Min to me is always this kind of sassy character who has really good like comebacks like she's always kind of teasing Rand when they're hanging out together in the book and I felt like I could feel that from her in the show too so I really liked that I think Having her be the bartender makes a lot of sense because what bartender doesn't have some witty comeback for you? Of course. They've seen and heard it all. So mm-hmm. she's like tired of the bullshit. She knows how to deal with it. She is so over Moraine as Ugh. soon as she walks in the door, which is so like on point for her character, I feel. She mentions in the book that she has come into contact with other Aes Sedai before. And here we can kind of get that feeling as well she's like all right what do you want like what do you want me to see just tell me so like we can get over with right so i thought she was really cool it was nice that she was able to like see the visions i thought the visions were done really well because it could have been really strange and cheesy but i think it fit and i also really liked the scene at the end of the episode where rand was can you tell me if it's me or not it just makes it a little bit more connected like they are in the book it's nice to see that connection between them because she's the only one who knew all along that it was him, yeah. but she didn't tell Moraine. I don't know if she she knew at the time or made the connection, but she's the one who triggers that flashback to Tam and Rand's mom back in the blood snow. So she kind of had some inkling at least. Okay, let's talk about that section right now because we'll get to okay. the Rand full story a bit later. So she's talking to Rand, and she is saying that she had her first vision in Tarvalon. Tarvalon. Of, <laughs> so I assume she sees Tam there with his heron sword and then has a vision of Rand being yeah. born, essentially. Yeah. Do you think, I assumed as watching this scene, I thought she made the connection that the baby was Rand in front of her at that moment. She's like, I had this vision, but I never connected it i just had this vision of this random man or she did know that it was Rand the whole time i was 
kind of confused about that I'm not really sure either I like to okay. me because like her vision earlier when Moraine was asking was that Rand was holding a baby and we don't know whose baby this is part of me wonders if it's baby Rand and oh, she's like okay. connecting it then and that's like the baby she saw being born and then connecting it to <gasps> the adult that he became or if that's just like a future vision or something yeah something else that we can't really interpret yet or whatever but Obviously, by the end of the episode, she does know that it's him. I, I thought she was done really well. It's I'm yeah. excited for the future seasons to see where things go. So no, I I loved her character. So um, yeah, as I said, Moraine <laughs> comes back to the group, gives him a lowdown. Uh, right, right. Let's die. And yeah, this is mm, this is kind of where the rest of the group not including Rand falls apart for me in terms of dialogue and story because for some reason Egwene is like yeah let's do it it's worth it like just some of the things she says it doesn't really support her character where her saying stuff like this in the book makes sense because you're understanding how she like worships Moraine and she Mm -hmm. just wants to do the right thing and whatever this didn't make any sense and then we get the fucking (laughs) how do I intro this so all of them are arguing. This is uh, Rand, Perrin, Egwene, and Nynaeve. Moraine and Lan have left, and they're letting them discuss whether or not they want to go to the Eye. Rand's like, Moraine is not giving us a choice. Nothing she says is optional. Egwene's like, she can't lie to us. And Rand's like, well, she can mislead. She knew that three of us were going to die beforehand. Like, she didn't share mm-hmm. that with us. Perrin's like, what if it could be Matt? What if this whole thing is a lie? Nynaeve's pretty much saying the same thing. Yeah. And then... Rand and Egwene kind of get testy because uh, Egwene responding to Perrin saying that Matt could be the dragon, she scoffs and she's like, Psh, Matt couldn't be the dragon, me! And then that makes <laughs> Rand angry, and they're kind of in it. Perrin gets up, says, apologize, stop yelling at her, which prompts Nynaeve to say, stop fighting over her like you always have done. And this comes out of nowhere to me because I'm like, what the fuck are they trying to do here? Rand pretty much has that reaction as well. And he's like, this is laughable. I'm fucking leaving. Which, good for him because goddamn did that make no fucking sense. Yeah, like, where is the lead up to this moment is my question. To me, this just feels like a storyline that they considered and kind of left open-ended in the first episode of the show because the only hint we get here that this is a thing is that Layla wasn't at Egwene's uh woman ceremony Mm. her going down the river type of thing but we don't know why and then we see that she's like you know also hiding in the blacksmith's shop while everyone's celebrating Egwene and stuff so she clearly has some kind of problem and it was up in the air what it was until this episode like it, it could have been very separate to me it almost felt like they had been trying for a child and were struggling or something because Perrin had his hands in her stomach but okay. mm-hmm. and I kind of wish they had gone for that instead of this because it's like this is the wheel of time okay we already have the highest stakes possible the dark one is trying to destroy the we world don't. exactly it we feels don't lazy. need a love triangle here not with Perrin, Rand, and Egwene. Like, it, yeah, it feels lazy. It's so weird. It feels like maybe they had plans for Matt and they had to kind of rework the episode and they just decided to throw the triangle back in after it had been scrapped or something. I don't really know. I really don't like this storyline at mm-hmm. all. It doesn't make sense to me. I really loved the Perrin and Egwene friendship in the book, and Absolutely. I'm kind of sad that that's now become Perrin pining after Egwene while she's right. oblivious to it or something. Like, I feel like that undercuts it. It does. This, like, fake betrayal they're trying to set up for Egwene betraying Rand and Perrin betraying Rand, and it's just like, this is so unneeded. Like you said, the stakes are high. We don't need... And then Rand leaves without resolving it with Perrin. Like, he resolves it with Egwene, <laughs> But him and Perrin are also besties, and, like, he hasn't even talked to him about it. Does he resolve it with Egwene? Because when Egwene comes to Rand, Rand's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, of course there's nothing between you and Perrin. She's like, of course not. And that's... (laughs) And then they bang it out. It's fine. And then they bang it out. Hey, anyway, a different bang scene that I support, Nynaeve Ah. and Lan. Yeah. I did enjoy this. This is another 
example for me of could we have more time please okay I appreciate how the show is really leaning in and expanding the what did you say L- Laniv? I love that <laughs> the I don't know if that's their ship name or whatever but it's there hey we're doing it but I like how they're spending time on their relationship it's very sweet so Moraine and Lan have a little chitty chat and say like we met here whatever we'll probably learn yeah. more about that later Moraine to me is like saying goodbye to everyone she's like yeah. Lan you should also say goodbye because yeah. we're all about to die so go yep. see your family so Lan Lan goes and sees his uh, adopted family and Nynaeve follows him and Lan immediately knows that she's following him and so he's oh like just, just come in you're being yeah. weird. Okay, Just come in. Can we talk about that fucking moment? Because one second, and this I is know. kind of a nitpick, but it's mostly like I, f- I love this. Like it's comedic to me. One minute, Lan is eating dinner, and she's watching him eat dinner, and then she turns, and he's right there. Yeah, teleports. Like what? I like think so. okay, fair. Because Lan in the book seems like this mystical creature that can just do whatever, and he's like a warden. Everyone's like, whoa. He like camouflages into the trees yeah. he has a magical I I, cloak I do miss the warder cloak i understand why it's completely impossible for the show but i kind of <laughs> wish he had like a harry potter invisible blanket yeah um just the head but <laughs> it's just like it's so funny how he knows she's following he's like all right i'll pretend that she, uh-huh. i don't know and then when she least expects it i'll pop out because that'll turn her on this is his way of seducing women apparently oh yeah i mean it works it does lab. work, apparently. Um, and Lan has this cute moment with his adopted family. I only know from the credits that the father figure, his name is Zaheer. And as uh, mm-hmm. Nynaeve enters and Lan introduces everyone, it's my favorite line maybe of the whole episode. He goes, she's beautiful. And Lan says, I hadn't noticed. Oh, my God. I wrote that down, too. It's so like, I love right, it so much. Okay. Like, I get it, Dad. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty. Okay, whatever. Yeah, she's pretty, and they think she's a nice to die, and she's like, absolutely the fuck not. But I will mm-hmm. eat. Uh, I will have a meal. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and they have an awesome, awkward uh, eye contact moment uh, as they're oh, departing, yeah. where they just stare, stare, and I stare. Like so, net stare and chill. Land. Good night. <laughs> I know. I noticed she very strategically walks in after he took his shirt off. She's like, all right, 10, 9, 8. He's getting ready for bed. Shirt's coming off. Okay, 7, uh-huh. Should 6, I wait for the pants? 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Uh, when Nynaeve came in, because I, when I was watching this for the first time, it was a little weird. I was like, is Moraine coming in? Like, who else is going to come into his room? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird. Um, but it's Nynaeve, and you see a face you've never seen from her before, because normally it's just, like, anger and fear and hatred. But she's, like, putting on her sexy face, which is kind of cute. Yeah. And she asks uh, Lan if <laughs> he wants her to leave. And I told Julia beforehand, he kind of tosses his shirt and, like, swerves over to her and is like, <laughs> hey. Smash girl. Yeah. Smash it in, bang. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, they kiss and then it cuts, but I assume they bang. So props to you, Nye. What else are you going to do the day before you die? Exactly. You might as well. Again, I appreciate how the show's just like powering through this. So before we get to Ran and Egwene, just to conclude the Nynaeve and Lan scene. So I assume like immediately after, because it looks like it's still nighttime. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nynaeve is getting ready to leave and you can see that she's braiding her hair again. And she asks Lan why everyone is calling him Daishan and... In the books, we get this really long explanation, actually from Lord Algamar. Lan doesn't even talk about this. Uh, and he explains it's a title for future kings of Malkier, and this is his home. And Malkier is a city that's north of Faldara, uh, but his home was consumed by the blight, as he explains it. And I guess that's essentially how it goes in the books, consumed by the blight, yeah. overrun by Trollocs. In the books, the backstory is incredible, Please read the books. It's just, the book is amazing. I love the backstory in this. There's so much going on there. He explains it as this. His hometown, Malkier, was consumed by the blight. His family was slaughtered. And he was smuggled out by uh, his adoptive father, as we see, raised here. And his that person was one of his father's armsmen. So Lan is still considered a king, which is why people in the borderlands call him Daishan. But he has no interest in that title. And I love how... Nynaeve and 
I guess it is Nynaeve, who basically identifies like, oh, I understand why you wanted to be bonded to Moraine so that Mm -hmm. you feel like you're a part of something. You feel like you have a purpose because Lan also says this to Moraine. You gave me something to live for and you gave me something to die for. So she reads him so perfectly. So well, yeah. I I love that because Lan's able to share that with Nynaeve, but it's also kind of the scene in the books where they're in the blight where they're also kind of slowly coming to a realization that they really can't be together and Lan says Mm -hmm. that she doesn't own me Moraine doesn't own me and Nynaeve's like but she does and he says only in the way those kids own you I've had to I had to think about that line so much and like what is he trying to say here like he's (laughs) equating he's equating himself to her kids in terms of like the the love or like the ownership, I couldn't really means, figure out. I think it's more so in the fact that she needs to protect them. Okay. The same way that Lan needs to protect Moraine, he's pledged himself to that Moraine or not Moraine. Nynaeve has also kind of pledged as the wisdom to take care of everyone in her village, and so she needs to take care of those kids. That is her duty. She's not gonna just run away with Lan right. to go be with him and leave the kids on their own. So they both just have responsibilities mm-hmm. that they can't escape from that make them incompatible. Right. So it's a very sad moment, but a really great way to kind of, you know, remind her that he's not just following Moraine for no reason. He has yeah. a purpose there. Yeah. No, I, again, I like how the show uh, kind of expedited this. I, I wish we had more time with Lance's backstory, but uh, I'll let that slide. Yeah. So from there we go to Rand and Egwene and they make up. That's all I'll say about it. It's just, yeah. I, mm, whatever. I like that it was stupid that Egwene was like, <laughs> I waited for oh an hour God. for you to come upon it. Like, I'm sorry, what? How 19 years old is Seriously. that? So on point, I guess. And Rand so smartly is like, listen, I've known you long enough. I know that right. we're not going to be able to have a real conversation until you're ready. So I'm waiting for you to come to me. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. So... No, Showrand is much smarter than Bookrand. Oh my god. Miles. Eons. Okay? Eons. Beyond. <laughs> Truly. Um, but we do get this important bit of dialogue where he tells her not to ignore the power inside of her. When the time comes, yeah. go become what you always wanted to be as an Aes Sedai. And Egwene's like, I will not go without you. And he's like, I got you. I I'm going to be your warder because I would ne- never oh. let anyone else be that. And I love that. But then we get some great... Emmons field stubbornness and a grade like we're not dying <laughs> yeah. all of us all four of us we're gonna live i promise you that we're we have a plan for our lives it's not gonna end here so i i like that we got uh that sprinkling and then they make out which is cute we get a classic rand single tier oh. that actor how many I of love those him. do we get this episode so, so many <laughs> and they're all perfect they're all perfectly done okay I'll mention this, the end of the episode, and then we're going to get into the fucking motherfucking dragon reborn. How many times can I curse? Okay. The next morning, Egwene has a little, like, girl chat, like, oh, Nynaeve, what did you do last night? <laughs> Interesting. Huh. 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 So Perrin comes in, and the three of them, Perrin, Nynaeve, and Egwene, they all agree to go with Moraine. But wait, where's Rand? At the time, he goes to Moraine. He's like, hi, I am the Dragon Reborn. Moraine has a surprise Pikachu face (laughs) and masks her bond with Lan and the two venture out into the Blight. Once again, I love the design of the Blight. It's different than how I pictured it, but I thought they they hit the main points. It's impenetrable. It's creepy. The vibes. Things of the Dark One, whatever. And they're, they're trudging out into the Blight. But before that... Julia, would you like to talk about this? Because this is my favorite part of the episode, besides one part of it. But I fucking loved the whole Rand coming to terms with himself. You know I love a character moment, a character arc journey. And we also get some parts of Eye of the World, some of the early chapters that we didn't get um, when they were happening yes. in real time back in. You know, I had to shut my mouth when you were one. talking about missing that scene with Tam and Rand <laughs> yeah. coming back to the village. I was like, oh, did oh. they forget it? I don't know. No, but I I also really love this reveal. I do wish they had spent more time on it, and I kind of slightly resent the fact that they just shoved Rand so much to the side to, like, hide it so that it wasn't so obvious, because I feel like there could have been a way to show the Tam scene without it being, like, so obvious that that 
makes Rand the Dragon Reborn. Like, everyone kind of has their side story that makes you go like, oh, maybe it's them. And I feel like if they did Rand's first and then moved on to, like, Nynaeve's moment, then it would be right. easy to kind of dismiss Rand, right? I thought And that then it, later show it. I thought in not showing Rand, they made it obvious that it was him. Yeah, because they exactly. Because they didn't hover over <laughs> that. With Nynaeve, yeah. they're like, it's the dragon. But the whole time, Moraine is telling us the Dragon Reborn is 20 years old. Nynaeve is too old. Yeah. We know this. So... To me, even though I know that it was Rand the whole time, it's just like, it just felt like it was obviously Rand. Because as you said, in episode three, uh, when they're in Breen Spring and he uses, and he channels to open the door, you even mentioned Mm -hmm. that, like, oh, oh, so you did something here. So I think it, it was obvious in the show. I know, Rand. yeah. So I kind of wish they had done it a little differently, but I, I really like the idea of him kind of waking up in the middle of the night after everything has kind of come to terms with him and Egwene and the rest of the group, and it's the day before they're all supposed to die, and if he feels like he's the dragon reborn, he can save everyone by being yeah. the only one to go out, and that's why he ends up doing what he ends up doing, because it's like, you have to confront this, otherwise you're essentially saying, I'm willing to sacrifice my friends because I'm not willing to accept that I am the dragon, and that's really fucked up. As hard as it is, to accept that you are the person that has been feared for 3,000 years, I'm sure that's really, really difficult to come to terms with, okay? I can't really compare it to anything I've ever experienced, but all that aside, I really like the flashback style of this where he's kind of, you can imagine it's just his thoughts being like, I can't deny it anymore, and the whole time before the scene, he is going outside to shoot arrows to clear his head and he's missing the target and he's not doing well and we all know the two rivers boys are really great shots with a bow and arrow and after the scene where he kind of comes to terms with himself he's hitting the bullseye every time because he's finally accepting things as they are and his mind is now clear and less flustered and i thought that was a really great way to portray the chaos in his thoughts versus the acceptance and I, I do really love that they included all the things that we thought were not being included and the fact that he channels in mm. this episode, but it's not obvious yeah. until they reveal it. I thought that was the most fun reveal of this whole flashback sequence because it's like, whoa, I didn't expect that at all. It wasn't in the right. books. There's a couple times in this season where I was completely shocked and that was one of them for sure. I love the, the flashback scenes of him channeling because like they were different in the books but it was essentially the same beat so he channels Mm -hmm. once to save Egwene which happens in the books with uh her horse uh and then he channels once to escape dark friends which essentially happens in the books he uses lightning Mm -hmm. it's much cooler of course but yeah I I love that whole thing and also when Rand is channeling it doesn't look dumb at all but I loved this element and I missed it the first I've watched this episode like four times but I missed it the first three times (laughs) where where he's channeling to protect Egwene from the Trolloc and he moves his arm over, you see the black taint mm-hmm. on his channel. It's so cool how they added that detail. Again, I love the way that they did that with the pureness of the one power being followed by the taint. You can yes. see how it's just kind of overtaking and it's like, it looks so gross. That was such a great way to represent it. Yes. And I think channeling overall in this episode looks really good. I think mm-hmm. they kind of saved up their money a little bit in the CGI budget <sighs> for this episode yeah versus some earlier episodes in the season so yeah no it, it was it, successful to me I think so too and so you're getting these beautiful flashback moments and then for some fucking reason the show decides to have the obvious Rand flashback moment of him in in the ways and Machin Sheen is saying right. you are the dragon reborn <laughs> you've known it all along you are the dragon reborn you are the dragon reborn we don't need this the obvious answer here we know from what is happening. I just hated this scene so fucking much, and it could have been easily cut, and I hated it so much. Something I don't hate, I've mentioned this many times, the actor that plays Rand, I am in love with. He is the best in this fucking show. So good. Every scene he is in, I always hyper-focus on him because he has the most subtle expressions that changed the whole scene in the cringe fest that it was Perrin and Egwene love triangle. He was great in that scene too. Him kind of laughing and acting like it's a joke. He was great in the Egwene scene where, where they're talking and he's telling her he wants to become her warder. The single tear in almost every shot is so fucking good. 
right when they're coming out of the ways, he has a single tear and Egwene tries to sort of reach for him and he sort of dodges. It's every scene. Go back and watch this series if you haven't, listeners. Just focus on Rand. He is incredible. And as Julia told me, that actor has read either the whole series or most of the series and you even said that you can tell that some of his actions are supporting oh, the Rand character yeah. in the later books which I love this guy is so good it. yeah I can see how he understands what Rand is going through in this moment and where it's going to go in the future and I can see how he's going to do really well in the future with where it goes Book readers, I'm sure if you have read the series like I have, you can also tell. I'm so excited to get there because he's going to do a fantastic job. All of the actors will, but Rand, he is the Dragon Reborn. You can't do it poorly, and I think he's up for the job. So Yeah, the casting was spot on, and you're right. It's like the actors in the show, all of them are very good, and he's just like every episode he continues to improve for me. It's just is a joy to watch, truly. I and and also it doesn't hurt that he's like maybe the most gorgeous person I've seen. I know. Ever. I mean, like how <laughs> the smile in the book, like everyone calls him like pretty or gorgeous or has a crush on him or is flustered, like Elsie Grinwell, and I understand it now. I get it. <laughs> he's a ginger. Well, but I love that too because I think in a, in a lot of shows, you know, they have a really hot cast, and that's what the casting directors and the actors are relying on. It's like, oh, they're hot; they don't have to be good at acting. This guy not only is super attractive, gorgeous, he's <laughs> yeah. a perfect Rand. Ah, uh, I love him. And so this next scene is my favorite Rand acting moment. So he goes to Min, as Julia said, and you know, he's like, "Am I the Dragon Reborn?" And she's like, "All right, well, let's go. Let's just go into it." Her first vision that she had when she saw Tam, Mm -hmm. which I already talked about, but here's her quote. Min. And when I looked at him, I saw snow and blood. I saw a baby born on the slopes of Dragon Mount. The man raised him in a wooden house besides fields of sheep in a sleepy village surrounded by two rivers. And that baby was something impossible. I love that (sighs) line. That baby was something impossible. She says this. And it cuts to Rand's gorgeous face, and he just sells it so well. The acceptance, the fear, the sadness. And then he asks, like, do you see me at the eye of the world? And she's like, I wish I didn't, because you seem like a decent person, and I know that place not hmm. isn't good. And he's like, all right, well, do I make it back? And she just gets up and takes the cups, and he looks down. I didn't think so. But in this, like, way that he's accepted his death, and like you said, Julia, he's willing to sacrifice himself for his friends and just to try to make this situation as uncomplicated as it obviously is and mm-hmm. oh god i will watch him forever i want to watch someone make a compilation of all the rand scenes <laughs> yeah i love him the, he's so give me the good. rand cut give me the rand cut he's great every time then we get the the final scene so it's so good. I, like I said, I love, I love Rand. I love his character even more than the books. I like where this is going. I'm excited, also anxious for the finale, which I'm going to watch right after this. We're going to see how it goes, but I hope <laughs> yeah. they do it justice because it is it's the climax. It has to look good. It has to be good. So we're going to see. I'll definitely have some thoughts for you next week on the finale for oh. sure. There was one more... Do you want to talk about Pat and Fane? Oh, yeah. Pat and Fane, that was it. All right. So just really quickly, Pat and Fane is always hidden somewhere throughout this show. I know, Lily, you have some good notes on where he shows up. I think we first see him in The Ways. So every time he's mentioned, so in The Ways, Lan mentions to Moraine that he senses that someone is following them, but they're keeping their distance, and Moraine agrees. And then... Right before the Trollocs attack them in the ways, Egwene gets up and she hears whistling, which is a patent fan yes. trait. And then as Machin Sheen is approaching them, you see this like really quick flash of him just standing there in the ways. Super creepy. Oh, yeah, okay. And then you see Pat and Fane, he's exiting the Waygate, and he starts to go to Faldara, which is weird because how did he survive the Trollocs? How did he survive Machin Sheen? the fuck's up with this guy mm-hmm. and then the final pat and fane is the ef4 they're walking through faldara and perrin sees pat and fane just walk right by him 
and he doesn't right. look back. The balls on this man I know. for showing up like that in front of everyone. Right. And showing up in fucking Tar Valen, just like hanging out, whistling yeah. around, same fucking clothes too. Like you don't have a costume change. Damn. It's fine. Um but when parents like, I just saw Pat and Fane and Nynaeve's like the peddler? No, he was there. He was in Evans Field the night that the Trollocs attack on Beltine. Like he is he is dead. Just like in the books he's assumed to be dead. That's mm-hmm. all we get, but I love that the show is slowly putting this together. Like, hey, this guy's around, and it's not what right. you think. Something's off with him. So, if the show just abandons this, I'll be really pissed off because they're clearly spending a lot of time trying to build up the weirdness of this character. So, I hope we get what happens in the books with him. I know. Cool. I feel like there's no way because the actor's so good; they so have to good. do him justice. Oh, he's like. Joffrey level for me where there's just something about the way like I don't know how he does it this is just he's a good actor I don't know how to describe it but (laughs) the vibes he gives off was just immediately like ill right what did what did Matt call him in the first episode he like rat bastard Pat and Fane or something weird (laughs) like clearly creepy no one needs to see him so I will say, just to to wrap up my thoughts, as I said, I like this episode. Goddamn, do they need more time. But overall, I I really did like this episode because it focused on the characters I wanted to focus on. So, Yeah. Uh, Same for me, too. As always, Amazon, goddammit, give us more time. If you don't give us more time for season two, at least do it for season three onwards, please. We need it. Mm. Wheel of Time deserves it. There's 14 books, and they're all over 700 pages long. Come on. People are itching for a good fantasy show. Give it to the people. We want it. I need it. It's my addiction. We want it. Okay. And of course, storylines will be cut and condensed. I can accept that, but do it fucking justice and give them time for the ones that you choose to consider. And also, Rafe Judkins, stop with the mouth stuff. This is our final (laughs) plea. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I'm also kind of okay if it becomes a trope throughout the series because I hate it so much, but it would be funny. Like... If you do this, then I know that you heard me, Rafe, okay? Oh, Rafe. I, can, I yeah. still have a connection. Rafe, you you hear us, okay? It's... He knows. He knows the Coplins. He knows. Okay. He he's, knows what we need. He's part of us. Also, he's part of us. Did I just say that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, that's all. Do you have anything else to say? That's it. No, I think that wraps us up for this week. Tune in tomorrow for episode eight What's it called? Let me see. Is it just called Eye of the World? The Eye of the World. Oh, there we go. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Oh, We're right uh, back with the, the title book. of the book. Episode 8, The Eye of the World, out tomorrow. We'll see. From there, we'll continue on with the book series. I cannot wait. I've oh already God. read the prologue for A Great Hunt. I uh. cannot fucking wait to get back into the books. I'm itching. Ah, can't wait. We're itching. All right, well, if you guys want to keep up with what we're doing, follow us on Twitter. We're at Coplin Talk. You can also email us, coplintalk at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts or theories or things you want to talk about that you don't have enough space for on Twitter, whatever, you know what email's for. Oh, my God. Anyway. Oh, my God. We'll catch you guys tomorrow for episode eight. Uh, goodbye. Bye.